Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Last week, the final passage was read, verses 9 through 14. We looked at verses 9 through 12 last week. Solomon's authority for writing this and why we must heed it. It is God's word. And then he closes things off in verses 13 and 14. Ecclesiastes 9, or 12, verses 12, verses 13 and 14. And he says this, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. There was a man, uh, he has since, as one of my Bible professors would say about anyone, he has since gone on to his eternal reward. And that's ambiguous enough that it could mean eternal reward in heaven or in hell. There was a man, his name was Stephen Covey, and he is uh, renowned, famous for the Stephen Covey, uh, the Franklin Covey planning system. Uh, It's a little notebook. Either you can get it really small or a very large one. Uh, I used it for several years in seminary. Um, In the 1990s, it was particularly popular. They had stores, actual um, brick-and-mortar stores, as we call them now, all throughout the United States. Today, there's only one (laughs) in Salt Lake City. He was a Mormon, so it's no surprise that it's it's there. It's there. Through his teaching to help you manage your time, he began by saying, you first must identify what matters most in your life. What matters most to you? And then as you identify what matters most, you then look at what are the different parts of your life? What are the Goals that you have for those different aspects of life? How, what specific actions do you need to take? Maybe some big uh, actions that you break down into even smaller ones so that you accomplish those goals. There's some good, what we would say, common sense and what he has to say here that can be very applicable to help you live life effectively and wisely. But the very beginning part, there's a problem there. Because he says, you must find out what matters to you. And then you plan your life according to what matters to you. And we decry the idea today that people say that truth is subjective. Well, my truth is this and what matters to me. And we think it's a new thing, folks. It's been around since Satan was tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived on the face of the earth outside of Jesus Christ. And Solomon was wiser than Stephen Covey. And Solomon would 100% disagree with Stephen Covey's opening statement. Find out what matters most to you. I titled today's message, What Matters Most? Because what has Solomon been seeking in this whole book? What's the meaning of life? 
What's the purpose? How can we make sense of things when it's such a uh, confused thing? We need to find something that makes sense of it all. And here he tells us exactly what matters most. And it is not what you think what matters most. It is what God says. Remember verses 9 to 12. This is from the one good shepherd. And he says, fear God and keep his commandments. This applies to everyone. Why? Because there's coming a day of judgment. First, Solomon declares the conclusion of his study. And he has been searching for what makes sense of life. Next week, I am going to give a bird's eye tour of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Hopefully help tie things together. Uh, because I've been preaching on this book for, what, a couple months now? Yeah, a couple months. And it'll help us to see how everything fits together, particularly in this last statement here. The Solomon began with a search. What makes sense of life? Is it work? Is it pleasure? Maybe it's justice. Government's doing the right thing. Perhaps it's smarts or wisdom, your intelligence. Maybe it's building programs or gardening. Perhaps it's just being silly. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's those special times in life. Every time that Solomon considered one of these, he said, in every one of these, it fails to give the true meaning and purpose of life. Why? What about work? Well, work is never ending, isn't it? Work is never ending. And the things that you get from work, the money that you might save, can be lost like that. Not work. What about pleasure? Pleasure ceases. As soon as you're done enjoying it, I want more. What about justice? A government? Do we need to talk about that? Justice is perverted. It's twisted. What about smarts? You get lots of smarts and wisdom. That's true, you can get it, and that is good, but it will always be incomplete. There's always more to learn. And what eventually happens to you as you get older with those smarts? Well, I prefer to say, we start getting so much, it just takes me a long time to find out where that, was, where that thing is that I learned. But we forget, don't we? It leaves. It entered, and it's gone. What about building programs? Surely building programs can be a... No, they crumble. Gardens wilt. Silliness is, well, silly. Family. Surely it's family, right? Family can grieve and disappoint. Those special times of life, they come and go. Anything that you pick in life, in this world, to find meaning and purpose, it will always end in frustration. It will never give solid, concrete answers. 
Remember the puzzle that I talked about at the very beginning of the series to try to illustrate Solomon's use of this, the word vanity. It's not necessarily a negative thing. It's in its context. It's talking about a frustrating thing and that it's impossible to grasp. And I found that there's this, the world's biggest puzzle is some 60,000 piece puzzle. And I put it on steroids and I said, imagine if this 60,000 piece puzzle was all white and it's a polar bear in a snowstorm. That would be frustrating, wouldn't it? Well, you know what? I learned that there's an even more frustrating puzzle. The pieces are clear. That would be difficult. That would be hard. You pick anything in this life and you start trying to put those pieces in and just when you think you got it all together and you have you put your last piece in, have you ever had this happen when you're doing a puzzle? And you say, you're not dumb enough to do puzzles. Well, there's some pretty smart people here who like to do puzzles. You get ready to put that last piece in, in that area of black, and you put it in, and it doesn't fit just right. What do you do? You know that doesn't go there. You know that's not the right piece. What do you do? Maybe you get your scissors out and trim it. Maybe you get your hammer. I'm just going to pound that thing in. But some of you are perfectionists. I'm going to find out that piece. And you can't find it. And that's frustrating. That's why I don't do puzzles. <laughs> why is this so? Why is it that there's nothing in life that gives the true meaning? Why is it so frustrating? It's because it too is cursed by sin. It experiences the effects of sin. Anything that you pick in this life, it's already broken and it's already in the process of dying. Creation is not the answer to creation. Solomon has looked at all the possibilities. He's weighed it all and looked at it all and he says the answer is not in the creation. The answer is in the creator. The only way to untie every impossible knot to make sense out of the senseless is number two. A reverent awe, a submissive faith in, and a glad obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should be the very, what's meant by the B there is the very middle part of 13. Fear God and keep his commandments. What does it mean to fear God? I give you the definition we've used over the years here. The fear of the Lord is a reverent faith in Jesus Christ, exclusively loving, obeying, and worshiping he whom I will give an account to. Let's break that down. Reverent. Reverent means great awe and devotion. Reverent means great awe and devotion. Faith. Faith involves your mind, your heart, and your will. There's definite content that you believe, that you welcome and love, that you submit to and obey. Truth about Christ. Reverent faith. And then love. Love is your total devotion. All your affection. The devotion, your full devotion, you love. Him, first, foremost, completely, there is no number two. 
You love the Lord, your God. Obey means total submission and and adherence. He says it. You bring your life in line with it. He is what matters most. You don't have to go searching in the depths of recesses of your heart and mind. What matters most to me? No. What has God said? Who is he? What has he said for his will for my life? In all my roles, all my responsibilities, I have to bring in line so that I am fulfilling that, what he has said, and I obey him. And then worship is to honor and adore him. To honor and adore him. The fear of the Lord is a reverent faith in Jesus Christ, exclusively loving, obeying, and worshiping he whom I will give an account to. Fear does not need to mean scared or frightened. Christian, you are not scared or frightened of the Lord. Growing up, I was scared and frightened about what was underneath my bed. And I had good reason to be scared and frightened about what was underneath my bed. Because that's how I cleaned my room. (laughs) Danny, go clean your room. And I shoved it all underneath my bed. Made sure the blankets were down to hide it all. Who knew what evils lurked underneath the recesses of my bed? Had I just cleaned the thing in my frightenedness, I could have just turned my light on. Nope, I'm fine and go to sleep. But no, had to disobey mom. There's a lesson there, isn't there? Christian, we're not scared of God. We're not frightened of him. We have this reverential awe of him. But what can happen? Because we will say, we as Christians, we don't, we're not scared of God and we're not frightened of God. We can too quickly go the other direction with that. We can think that God is our buddy in heaven that we can call on when we're, when we're in need of help. He's my 911 when things don't go right. And so we give God somewhat of the best scraps of our life. And when you hear someone say the Lord's name, whether as a swear word or flippantly, you have such familiarity with God's name and who he is that you don't even blink. Doesn't bother you in the bit, in the, in the, in the littlest bit. But when you hear the name of some influential human being, whether it's in business or sports or your crafts or hobbies, your ears perk up. You're listening. I know that one. He's important. But we don't have that kind of response to the Lord. This is why I think it will be good for us to consider some illustrations from Scripture, 
some positive and negative illustrations from Scripture about what fearing the Lord looks like and what it doesn't look like. First, some positive illustrations, mostly from the Old Testament. In Genesis 5, we learned about Enoch. Enoch walked with God. He feared the Lord. What mattered most to Enoch was pleasing him, bringing his life in line with God, and the result was he didn't die. He pleased the Lord, and God took him. Noah feared God in Genesis 6. And God told Noah, I am going to destroy this earth. Build an ark. Put your family in it. I will cause two of every animal to come. What a crazy thing. But Noah didn't think it was crazy. He loved his God. He had an awe of him and a reverence for him, and he obeyed him. A third example, Job. You could write down, Job has 42 chapters, so you could write down chapter 40 and chapter 42. Job said this, when he was brought face to face, reminded who his God was. Job said, as a believer, I am vile. What shall I answer to you? I lay my hand over my mouth. I know, Lord, that you can do everything. That no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. A fourth example, Abraham, that we're reading about in the book of Genesis. Abraham, leave your home. Go to a country that I will show you. He didn't know where he was going, but he feared the Lord and obeyed him. And as we will read this week in chapter 22, I want you to go and sacrifice your son Isaac. And Abraham obeyed. A fifth example, Moses. Moses, remember, left his home 40 years in the, at home, 40 years in the desert, shepherding. And then the Lord appeared to him in a burning bush. And remember what Moses said there in chapter, Exodus chapter 3, verse 6? He was afraid to look upon God. Joshua. Joshua chapter 6, I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 5, verse 14. When the commander of the Lord of hosts appeared to Joshua, he fell on his face. A reverential awe. Young Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 10. Young Samuel at night heard a voice, Samuel, Samuel. And after some teaching by his teacher Eli, young Samuel When he heard that voice, he said, Speak what, Lord? Your servant hears. He knew his place. He knew who was speaking to him. And he had the right attitude and response. David. Boy, read the Psalms. David's trust and dependence on the Lord through all kinds of terrible times and rejection and betrayal. One last personal example. We could, I could keep going on and on. But one of my favorite prophets, a guy by the name of Micaiah. Not Micah, but Micaiah. M-I-C-A-I-A-H. First Kings 22. The kings said, we want you to preach what we want you to say. 
And Micaiah said in 1 Kings twenty two fourteen, he said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. He trusted God. Do what you want, king, to me. I will speak what the Lord says. These men had absolute trust in the Lord. They had a humble, heartfelt submission and obedience. They directed all their life to match up with God's character and God's command and will for their life. God was what mattered most to them. These saints, folks, they lived in the same world that you live in, but yet they weren't controlled by this world. They weren't focused on this world. Who were they focused on? The Lord God. The Lord God is who mattered most to them. What doesn't the fear of the Lord look like? What would be some negative examples? The first that I would point you to is Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. After hearing God's command through Moses and Aaron, let my people go. What did Pharaoh say? Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. He's saying right there, I don't know the Lord. I will not fear him. And I will not let him go. Let Israel go. I will not obey you. What did Solomon say is the conclusion of the matter? Fear God and keep his commandments. And Pharaoh is... Illustration number one of what not to do. A second illustration, King Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 15. God commanded Saul, I want you to wipe out all the Amalekites. All of them. Don't leave a single thing alive. So Saul led the armies of Israel to do that. Prophet Samuel came. Saul said, I've done the Lord's work. Remember what Samuel said? What is this bleeding in my ears that I'm hearing? Who are these Amalekites that are still alive? Oh, well, we saved the best. And we showed some mercy to those folks. Because God's a God of mercy, right? Saul did not fear the Lord. And he did not obey him. A third example, Goliath, one of my favorites, Goliath, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Goliath defied the armies of God. Defied them. Who's your God? I defy him. And then little David came up, just a sling and some stones, and he said, I stand. I stand for the, the true God, the God of Israel that you defy. And today I will deliver you. A fourth example, the wicked in Psalm 10. The wicked in Psalm 10 who say in their heart, God doesn't see what we're doing. He won't make us answer for what we do. A fifth example, in Isaiah chapter 14, the king of Tyre, T-Y-R-E, 
the king of Tyre. And then Isaiah also says he did exactly what Satan did. They said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. Is there much reverential awe for God there? None. A sixth example, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, 2 Kings 18. He said to Hezekiah, Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. I did this to all these gods. Destroyed their countries. They, their gods couldn't deliver them. And your God, Hezekiah, your God, Judah, is just like them. Do you see what Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, what he did, what he said about the Lord God of heaven, the creator of heavens and earth? He made them, he made the Lord God equal with idols. He did not fear him. And God destroyed Sennacherib. A seventh example, Nebuchadnezzar, if that's too long to write, just abbreviate N-E-B, that's what I do. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 15. Daniel chapter 3 and verse verse 15. Nebuchadnezzar said uh, to Shadrach, to Meshach, and Abednego, who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Nobody can deliver you. I alone have power. A last example from the New Testament. Pilate. When Jesus stood before Pilate in Luke chapter 19 verse 10, Pilate said to Jesus, are you, aren't you speaking to me? The guy had a real power trip going on. Aren't you speaking to me? Don't you know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Again, we can multiply all kinds of examples here. But in every one of these, we read about their unbelief, their refusal to obey, They changed or ignored God's commands, and there's a proud defiance. Every one of them had earthly power. They had the things of this earth, everything that this world has to offer. Yet what did they do? They belittled God. They didn't obey him, and they illustrate foolishness. What is it about God that demands that you Fear him. He is infinite. And you are not. What is he infinite in? He's infinite in his understanding. What about you? He's infinite in his presence. He's in every place. God in his fullness is at every place at the same time in all creation. What about you? God is not limited by time. God is not limited in his power. Whatever he decides to do, he can do it fully and completely. He's not limited in his wisdom. And we could go on and on and on, couldn't we? He's perfect. He doesn't need anything to complete himself. Completely perfect. Everything about him is true. Everything he feels, everything he does, everything he decides lines up 
with his holiness. He's a righteous God. He's the only God. And so what application does this have for Ecclesiastes? Well, who alone, Christian, fully knows the ins and outs of everything? Work, family, wisdom, pleasures, enjoyment. Who alone knows the ins and outs of everything? Only God. Fear him. Who alone fully knows everything that's going on? What's going to happen tomorrow? What are you going to do tomorrow? Well, I'm going to go to work. Or I'm going to sleep in. Because pastors only work one day a week. I'm going to go ride my horse in the rain. I'm going to go see a relative. Are you? Who holds your life in his hand? Or your coworker? Or your family member? Who alone fully knows not only what will happen, but who alone fully knows what you should do? The Lord God does. And so the second part then, you must keep his commandments. You must keep his commandments. That is the practical evidence of fearing God. It is necessarily linked with fearing God. If someone says, I fear the Lord, but I don't obey him in this, what kind of person is that? Is a liar, is a hypocrite. It's like King Saul. Keeping God's commandment means that scripture is your life. Some say this is the, the owner's manual of life or the, the guidebook of life. Folks, this is your life. This is God speaking to you. And you pick up scripture. And I hope that as a result of focusing on this text here, that you will look at this book completely with, with a better appreciation, a better love, a better devotion But if you come away from this message with the same attitude, which isn't much towards God's word, that's not good. This book tells you how to live. God tells you in this book how to live. God tells you in this book how to worship. God says in every time, in every situation, this is how you must be. This is how you must think. This is what you must feel. This is how you have to direct your feelings. This is how you have to direct your life. And that's hard, isn't it? I can't do that. I'm right with you. We can't do it. We don't have the strength in ourselves. And that's why you need the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you need to depend on the Spirit to give you strength. That's why we confess our faults and failures to Him. And we pray, Lord, help me to do this more. Help me to fear you. Help me to love you. You must obey God regardless of who you are. I don't care if you're 12 or you're 120. It doesn't matter what your experience in life is. It doesn't matter where you're at or what you do. Solomon says at the end of verse 13, this is man's all. It applies to everyone. We need to have some uh, teaching and 
services that really speak to this kind of person. And what does Solomon say here? Fear God, keep his commandments. This is man's all applies to everyone, everyone. Why is the fear of the Lord? And why is obedience to his commands? Why is that the only right answer? Why is that alone what matters most? Well, that's the next verse, verse 14. Because of the same Lord Jesus Christ you must fear, he will judge your life. He will judge your life. He will first evaluate everything that you do. He will bring every work into judgment. The obvious things of your life need to be controlled by what matters most. The fear of the Lord and obeying his commandments. And then second, including every secret thing, he will evaluate the things that you think no one knows about. When you're all by yourself or what you're thinking right now, what you assess right now, and you think no one knows what you're thinking right now, that's not true. The Lord God knows your thoughts. And not only does he know your thoughts, but what do we learn from this passage here? He will hold you accountable for those secret things. And then the third part. God's judgment will cover everything. It's comprehensive. It's in-depth. It's thorough, exhaustive, complete, entire, full, whether good or evil. You will stand before the infinite God who perfectly weighs and assesses all things. You will stand before him and give an account for the public things that you've done and the things that you thought nobody knew about as well. I'm going to teach more about God's judgment this afternoon because there's a lot I want us to consider there. It's easy to think no one saw what you did. No one appreciates what you just accomplished. And you can think that you just wasted your time doing it. That is not true, Christian. The Lord knows. And as we will learn more about this afternoon, Christian, he will reward you for that. The things done in secret, the Lord knows, and he will reward you for that. You focus not about getting all kinds of stuff and doing all kinds of things. You focus on being faithful. This is a serious thing, this future judgment. It means you need to ask a question. Ask yourself, am I being serious? Am I serious about living? Ask yourself that. You have your private devotions tomorrow. Begin with that question. Am I being serious about how I live? You start to answer that question by asking, 
Are you serious about the Lord? Because he is what matters most. You're serious about living when you are first serious about the Lord, when you fear him and him alone. God isn't joking. God is serious about life. God is serious about what you think about him, how you feel about him, and what you're doing with your life now. He's given you this life. He's provided salvation through his son so that you can live a life that pleases him. Folks, your experiences, your friends, your work, your family, these enjoyable things of life, they are, as Solomon said, good gifts of God. But they cannot and they must not be the reason for living. They're not what makes sense of life. They're not the purpose of life. They're not the goal of life. The only thing that matters in life, the only thing that makes sense of life, is your creator and savior, Jesus Christ. Fear him. Have a reverential awe of him. A submissive trust in him. A glad obedience to him. How can you know what matters most? By the scriptures. And so organize your life and direct your life accordingly. God says this, bring your life into that place. And when you do, you will have joy. You will have peace. You're going to have direction in dark times. And from verse 14, you will be ready for that final judgment then. No matter where you're at in life now, you will be ready for that final judgment because you have worked with your God's help to be faithful to him.